Hey friends, this is The Recovery Journey, and we are back. My name is Maria, your host, and today I have a very special guest named Taylor Walker. She is truly one of my favorite humans on the earth, and her strength is admirable. I can't wait for you guys to meet her, so hold on. We will be right back. Hey guys, this is Maria, and as I mentioned before, we have a very special guest named Taylor Walker. Taylor, why don't you go ahead and give us uh, some of your story to start off with? Cool. Um, so I, I guess I was going to start when I first kind of was diagnosed with um, like depression and anxiety. And it was the, the summer after I graduated high school. And um, a lot had gone down that summer. And to kind of, I guess, like a back, just to go back a little bit, I loved high school. (laughs) Um, It was like the best, one of the best times of my life. I thrived in the environment that I was at. Um, I went to a really small Christian school. I graduated with a class of like 30 people. And yeah, and I had known them since seventh grade and um, first through sixth grade, I went to a public school. And I just didn't do so well in in that environment. It was just a lot. Um, So my parents decided to put me in a small private Christian school that my brother had been going to. And he did really well. And my parents just thought, this is a good decision. Let's just move Taylor and Summer over there. And uh, my sister, Summer. So I, I mean, I just thrived. And it was like, a small community and it was safe and secure and I knew everyone. I knew everyone's parents. Um, I just absolutely loved it. And I'm still like very close with my teachers there and the administrator and all my friends. So anyway, so graduating and having to like go to college and everybody went their separate ways. It was very hard um, getting to, uh, a college that it was a little bigger. I went to a, uh, it was a smaller college here in Oklahoma called Rogers state university. And it's in a little town, not little, but it's just, it's smaller than Tulsa. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was a really hard change and adjustment. And then my parents had decided to divorce two months after I graduated too. So, yeah, so it was like total identity crisis, I guess, total, like my whole life, everything just flipped upside down. So me and my mom and my younger sister, we moved out and we, um, we lived together. And then my dad was in another house that we had all bought together and it was just, it was really hard. And my brother had got, he was married and he was gone and. So that was kind of when I was noticing like a lot of changes mentally. And I was like, man, like, what is this? What's going on? And my mom was like, well, let's go get you checked because um, depression and um, even alcoholism runs in my family. Uh, Not a lot of people believe that that's hereditary, but I mean, we really do. We take it very serious in my family. And it had been something my mom had always kind of talked about a lot to me and my siblings, like this, 
runs in our family and you need to be aware of this, blah, blah, blah. And I always was aware of like, okay, yeah, stay away from alcohol. Don't drink alcohol. I get it. But I never thought that the depression would hit me um, because I thought all through high school, I was like, no, I'm fine. Like I I feel great. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went and got on medication for that. And obviously trying to find the right medication is really hard. So I was going to classes and then coming home and literally sleeping in uh, eating a lot. And then I'd sleep until dinner and then my mom would wake me up. And that was kind of my pattern for like a year. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was just very, it was hard. So anyway, um, I'll kind of fast forward (laughs) into like uh, a few years later, I just could not get a grip on my life. And I totally, I was just so unhappy just in a nutshell. I was so unhappy. I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what I wanted. I was trying to kind of fit a mold that my parents had created for me. And in, and in their perspective, like they wanted the best for me, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. And it, and that was like college and a career. And, um, I had ended, I ended up quitting college and that was really hard. It was the best decision for me, but it was really hard because everybody in my family, literally everybody in my family is a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like on my mom's side and on my dad's, it's insane. And so quitting was I felt so much shame around that. Um, and having to tell my dad that was gut wrenching. Like I made at the time, my boyfriend, now my husband, I was like, you have to go with me. (laughs) Um, so, but I ended up going through a program in 2011. Yeah. 2011. And it's in Dallas called, it's called pathways and it's a very intense, uh, it's like a conference style, um, counseling, okay. if you will. Like you're in a group of 30 to 50 people. Wow. That's and lot. yeah. And your first session, you don't know anybody. Like you haven't had an intro or like, there's no brunch before where you're like, hi, and you meet everyone. You literally, meet everyone while you're starting the session. And it's, it's pretty intense um, because they find out basically what's in your deepest depths of your journal about you and and, in your diary and they mess with it. And it, 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 it was really hard, but I ended up coming out of that five months later just like a metamorphosis. It was basically like opening up the wounds that I had had. And then I had to kind of learn how to put the band-aids over them. And that was the depression and some anxiety that had formed. And then some major disappointments in my life of parents being divorced. Um, I had to forgive myself for um, being so hard on myself, especially about the college stuff. Yeah. Um, and that even, you know, that was brought up and everyone was like, I remember in a small group I was in, in the middle of it, I had talked about going back to college and everybody was so encouraging. And so then, you know, you have to do some homework and the homework was go visit a college and get some classes, maybe talk about classes. So I did. And 
um, I left meeting with a recruiter or whatever, knowing like 110% I'm not going back. And so I was really proud to walk back into Pathways and to like bring my homework and be like, I'm not going back. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) And, you know, it just, it just wasn't for me. And just to be able to say that was so freeing because I had just put these these locks and chains down on myself. Like this was what I had to do because this is what other people wanted me to do. So I was able to really release those expectations of others. And now I just, it's, it's like, you know, you know, it takes so much practice to, um, put in those new habits to Mm -hmm. stop self-sabotaging. And, um, it's just so freeing when you can finally, do that and it's taken me almost 10 years but <laughs> yeah I mean it's anyway like you're able to do what you need to do for you and like be able to listen to yourself yeah. and trust yourself in those decisions trust Even yourself culture and yeah. people around you are telling you I think our culture is mm-hmm. so stuck on everybody needs to go to college and everybody needs to get this education it's like it's not for everybody mm-hmm. and yeah yeah and I think I think that's where it started for me really was high school because it was a college preparatory um, school. And I had a wonderful teacher that was like literally walking the pro like walking through us in that college admission process. Like she'd sit down and help us fill everything out, interview stuff. Like it was amazing, but I never got, it was always you're going, right. There was never an option of, well, you can take a year off. Right. And you can try to figure out what you need to do, what you want. Like, I had no idea what I wanted to do at 17, 18. Right. And I just, I, it's kind of terrifying that we're expecting people that age to know what they want to do with their life before they even truly know who they are and have fully matured. Right. That's true. <laughs> so that's like, true. looking back on that, I'm like, man, that's a tough spot to be in. No wonder I was like, uh, uh, any, mini, miny, mo. And I picked counseling because right. at the time I was volunteering at a pregnancy center and I absolutely loved that. And I wish that I would have taken a year off and just worked there Yeah, because they had offered me a job, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's fine. You know, right. I mean, it obviously everything worked out, but, um, so yeah. Um, so let's see, where am I out on my timeline here? Um, so then I get married in 2013 to my awesome husband, Matt. And then, um, uh, I have, uh, my daughter, our daughter in 2016, Vera. <laughs> and, um, she's adorable. I, Just wanted to throw that. Thank in. you. <laughs> Thanks. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> then. So it was, uh, I can like hear her in the other room and I'm like, yeah, she's a hot mess, dude, but she's awesome. Um, so going into like pregnancy, I guess I kind of knew I was going to be dealing with, it was very, there was a high chance I was going to be dealing with like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And I was kind of preparing for that, um, Nothing prepared me for it. <laughs> it was a monster of its own. And um, I just, you know, looking back, like I had never, I didn't never talk to anybody about it before. Like I wish I would have gone around and asked other moms before Vera was born. Um, but I just didn't. I just kind of thought like, well, I'll deal with it as it comes. And 
but you know, that's all we yeah. think. Yeah. That's, you know, we just do the best we can do. Um, I ended up having like a compl a very complicated, um, uh, recovery. Um, I don't want to like share too much. I don't know how much I can like, share without like, yeah, you're fine. Grossing people <laughs> out. But yeah, th basically like they had left, um, the doctors and nurses, they had left some, like a, the part, a part of the uterus at the top, um, uh, the placenta, whatever that was supposed to come out and it didn't. And I was losing so much blood uh -oh. that I was extremely exhausted. And, um, while all the while trying to figure out breastfeeding, um, and then you're exhausted. I mean, Vera was needing, wanting to eat every two hours, right. every all night and day. Um, so I just fell apart basically um, as a mom. And then there's so much, there's like a whole other set of guilt and shame that comes with being a new mom. Like you automatically just put these new expectations on yourself and you start, you know, you like for me, I envisioned what kind of mom I was going to be. Mm -hmm. And that was the bar. That was the expectation and the dream. Right. And when I realized I wasn't going to meet that, it was just like, it was a downfall. Yeah. It, it, I just set myself up for failure again. And, um, when I, you know, it took a long time, but when I just finally realized like, I'm a freaking hot mess as a mom, I am depressed this is real. And then every, and I stopped breastfeeding. Like I took that off my shoulders. Yeah. Um, it's, and I've been talking with a couple of my friends that are brand new moms, like as of 2020, and I've been really trying to encourage them about the same. And it's just so hard. And, and I just, I'm like, I know I've been there, but it's so hard just to release that. Um, but when I finally did, let me tell you, <laughs> It's just crazy how everything for me changed there. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, I, you know, I got on top of the postpartum stuff and it was actually seven months. Vera was seven months and we were on a family vacation in Florida with, um, my entire family. And I had gone to breakfast with, um, my brother, Jared and his wife, Emily, whom, you know, yeah. And they were just really encouraging me to start, um, doing whole 30 that, um, that diet, mm -hmm. you know, where you like literally take everything out and then reintroduce it back. And my brother was really encouraging me to do it for my mental health and to just because, you know, some foods are so inflammatory to our body and, they make us groggy and tired, which yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, that's a great idea. I'm going to get home and I'm going to research and I'm going to do this. And anyway, I went pretty hardcore. So we went, um, on that vacation in July and I started in August and I will say I was very successful. Um, I felt really good mentally. Um, and I lost 40 pounds. <laughs> like I couldn't, like a lot of it was still 
weight I guess I was hanging on to from pregnancy. And then I guess I just like, cause I got small, I got down to a size that I was before I even had Vera. Yeah. Um, got pregnant with her. So that was kind of crazy. Um, so I guess a year from that August, September, I was just in and out of like mentally putting that pressure back on myself mm-hmm. of like, I have to do whole 30. I have to do this. And then when I would take a month off, it was like, okay, where's my Oreos? Where's my Captain Crunch? Like yeah. where's all the foods I've been depriving myself of that I have been wanting. And I would just go on a major binge. Yep. And then, um, open the door and enter shame, guilt, confusion, major confusion of all of that. And it was just a pattern yep. I would, I fell into for about a year of, okay, whole 30. Okay. Binge. Okay. Whole 30. And now binge and maybe try both. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm so unhappy. Why am I so unhappy? Yep. Why am I feeling this pressure? Like I would literally lay on the couch watching TV eating and eating and eating. And I'm so confused as to why, Yep. like why? And it was just, it was just so frustrating. And, you know, looking back, like, I'm really, really glad that my brother suggested whole 30 because I know his intentions were for me to mentally better myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I I don't think my brother was sitting there telling me like, you should lose weight. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think that, um, but it, I think I got very lost and I lost the whole sense of why I started it. And it felt good to lose 40 pounds. Hello. That's like a, that's like meth sometimes, you know, it's like, man, I got to keep doing that. Um, but you know, it's like, as I only had a goal, like, okay, cool. If I lose 10 pounds, that would be cool. But the, the goal kept increasing. Yeah. It will never be enough. And it was never good enough. So um, after that pattern, I had told you this recently, I was scrolling on Pinterest mm-hmm. and it was something about binge eating slash intuitive eating. And I was like, what is that? And I clicked on it and I read it and it was like asking me all these questions. Do you do this? Yes. Do you feel like this? Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I matched all the boxes. And then I saw, I think it was on your Instagram, you put something about intuitive eating. Yep. And I thought, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I mean, literally, it was just like, bring, like a light bulb. Yep. Everything, like heaven's <laughs> gates open and all the angels were like, this is what you need. It was so <laughs> crazy. So, I mean, it was such a God thing. <laughs> um, and so I really really dug into intuitive eating and that, I mean, it's still a journey obviously, but it's just, it has changed. Like it was just another way for me to finally release those chains of like, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to follow this guideline. I just, I can't, I can't follow (laughs) guidelines. Like there's so much pressure. Well, it's like college all over (laughs) again. Like I just, it was heavy. heavy. It was heavy stuff. Yeah. So it is very heavy. And so, 
um, man, just being able to like follow, I mean, there's a whole world, like huge world of intuitive Mm -hmm. eating and like finding your stuff, your podcast and what you put out into the world. And then all these other people, it's just, it was amazing. And it was like, you know, slowly starting to heal that part of myself that I was just like unsure of. And so that was great. Um, so that, so then I guess, I don't know, it was like a couple of years ago, but, um, fast forward into, um, just recently we found out we were pregnant. Um, it'll be a year this May. Cause I remember telling my husband like two days after his birthday oh. that I was pregnant. Yeah. I remember taking a pregnancy test and I was like, Oh, 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 okay. Cause like we were like trying, but I honestly thought it was going to take like six months. No, my body, (laughs) like, this is so funny because I love schedules. I love regiments. Like I like, like I I like everything in order and predictability. Mm -hmm. So my body definitely is in tune with me because it took, <laughs> I like took two weeks, I'm telling you. So, um, that was crazy. So we were like, okay, ready or not, here we go. Um, so fast forward 20 weeks later, I'm going to get my ultrasound to find out the gender. And, um, we find out it's a boy and we're just, oh, we're so excited. Um, I started crying because at first the, the ultrasound tech, she said, oh, it's a girl. <laughs> and I started, I started crying. Cause like I looked at Matt and I was, and I said, I'm so sorry, Matt. And he was like, why? And I said, I wanted you to have a boy. And he's like, I know it's fine. It's fine. So we're like still looking and laughing and I stopped crying. <laughs> and then she's like, wait, uh Oh, and she said, her words were, I saw it flip up. And yeah, it was, this is a PG <laughs> podcast, by the way. Um, it was a boy. And so then I started crying all over again. And I was just, I was just so excited. My mom wanted me to have a boy. I mean, everybody was like, Hey, you need a boy. Even my brother was like, I need, I you need a boy, blah, blah, blah. So we were so excited. And, um, I remember, you know, this is so weird. I remember leaving, and the tech said something to me that I had never heard a tech say before. And, but she was like, um, your doctor will call you tomorrow with some more information. And I was like, okay, that's weird, yeah. but okay. Well, so they called me, my, my doctor called me the next day and she had told me that they were really worried that he had something called gastroschisis. And that is basically just where there's like an opening in the abdomen and his um, intestines and kind of all the gut stuff is like kind of seeping out, Mm -hmm. not fully out, but it's out. And it was just going to be like a surgery or two and then a week in NICU, maybe two weeks, you know, kind of a kind of a simple fix, but still really scary. So I was just petrified. So they scheduled me like a week later with, um, an MFM, a maternal fetal medicine Mm -hmm. doctor, 
which is basically just a doctor for high risk pregnancies. And, um, we met with her and they did a very, very extensive ultrasound. And like Matt and I just remember sitting there. It was weird. I can't explain it. And I can only speak for myself, but I, I felt like I could kind of read his mind, but we just knew like something's going yeah. down, you know, like we're not here for nothing. Like there's something serious here. So it was just like a weird days. So the doctor brought us in after looking everything over and she sat us down and kind of the first thing she said was, so we're looking at either down syndrome or trisomy 18 and, um, or also known as Edward syndrome. And I knew what down syndrome was. I had never heard of trisomy 18. Um, but downs is basically called also trisomy 21 based off of like the chromosome. So I learned that I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. But, um, we had to do like more testing and they said it was going to be a week, another week. It ended up being like two, almost two weeks of waiting. Uh Uh-huh. Um, that was awful. That was awful. Like I had a really hard time being Mm -hmm. alone. Um, I was just so terrified because, you know, one of the first things that she told me when we found out it was try, it could be trisomy 18 was that the survival rate was only 10%. Um, so, um, you know, just, right. ugh, it was just so much fear and I don't think I ate, I really didn't sleep. Um, I was praying a lot and we were, we were talking with our pastors a lot and, um, obviously our families. And so I remember, um, we got a call at 7am and she had just got to the office and she's like, I wanted to, you know make sure I got to you guys first. I know you've been waiting, blah, blah, blah. And, um, she said, it's come back positive for trisomy 18. And I'll just never forget, like looking up at Matt and, um, it was just so surreal. It was just so weird. Um, and you know, at the time she was like, okay, what kind of questions do you have? And I was like, (laughs) And I remember telling her, I was like, I'm processing. I don't have any questions for you. Can I call you back later? And she's like, yeah, of course. So, you know, we hung up and we cried and we kind of held each other for a minute. And Matt ended up taking, taking the day off. And I'll just never forget that moment because that was when we, I mean, I'm just so proud mm-hmm. of us, honestly, because one of the first things that we said was, we have to protect two things. We have to protect Mm -hmm. our faith because Satan is going to try to, I mean, he's really going to try to shake us up and we have to protect our marriage because the, I guess the survival rate for marriages with kids with special needs or, um, child death is, you know, it's pretty high. So, that was like the first thing we kind of battle. Like we were like, we're going to battle for this. We are fighting for our marriage here. We're going to make sure we stay on top of that. And then we're going to make sure, you know, we, we keep our faith strong and, um, all that. So 
we ended up going over to my mom's that day and literally like all of my family came over and we just hung out all day and cried and prayed. And, um, anyway, so it was just, it was, uh, I'm trying to like You're fast fine. forward through <laughs> some of, some of the long parts here, but it, uh, it, it was just, it was a very hard pregnancy to say the least. It was very, very hard, not just like emotionally, but also physically. Mm-hmm. Um, I had developed, um, this little syndrome called, uh, polyhydramnios. And it's basically just really high fluid levels because, um, babies with trisomy 18, they don't have the ability to swallow fluid. So all of like the amniotic Mm -hmm. fluid was, it was just sitting there where he's supposed to be able to swallow that, digest it. And so one, he's not gaining weight. And then two, all that fluid is sitting inside of me. So I remember about two or three weeks before I actually had him, I was measuring at 48 Yeah, I remember weeks. you posting that or something, telling me that. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. And I mean, like, people don't go right. that far in pregnancy typically. Um, so, gosh, and like typical fluid levels, I think are supposed to be, and if there's nurses listening to this, like, don't at <laughs> me. I don't know. I'm not a nurse or a doctor. But I think it's like 8 to 12 is what you're supposed to be at. And I was at like Jeez. 32 as far as fluid levels. Yeah. I was huge, huge. I remember walking around in Costco just like one, I was trying to like walk myself into labor and two, like just trying to be positive here. And I had random people coming up to me, no joke, talking, like saying like, Oh my gosh, you're having twins. And I just go with it. Cause I just, I'm not like super confrontational. Like I have friends that were like, why wouldn't you just tell them like, you know, something rude, like they involved curse words. I'm not going to say it, but I was like, cause like, I don't know. That's just not me. I just can't like, I just would rather just like move away and move on. And so people would say like, man, you're huge or, Oh, twins. And I just go, yep. Yep. That's right. Mm -hmm." So, so that was really, yeah, that was really hard. Um, uh, uh, so I remember it was December 22nd. Um, that was a Sunday and we went to church that morning. It's weird. Cause I wasn't going to church really for that month. I was just, I didn't feel like it. I was out of it. And it really, I mean, that whole last two months of the pregnancy really started mm-hmm. to drain me mentally and emotionally because with trisomy 18, with the odds that the doctors give you and then kind of what everything I was reading on social media, you can't compare every pregnancy and you can't compare every birth and life and every child because literally they were all different. Every child had different defects. Um, I mean, the main ones for trisomy 18 are Mm -hmm. heart defects and um, our son Copeland, he, he had a heart defect he had like a hole in the lower two, like the lower arteries or whatever. And the blood flow was all wonky. It was not going where it was supposed to go. And, um, so I, like, I would just sit and try to like compare 
everything and think like, okay, so that went that way for them. So maybe it'll go this way for us. So, you know, Matt and I were faced with like daily for, you know, six, the last five to six months of that pregnancy, he'll either pass Mm -hmm. away in the womb, he'll pass away after he's born or he'll live, he'll beat the odds and he'll live for a little bit and we'll have to be in the NICU for a long time. And then he'll come home and be mm-hmm. on hospice for a while, or he will always live like with feeding tubes, breathing yeah. tubes. Like that's the reality that they give you. Those are all your options really yeah. with so many other gray right. areas. And so just the uncertainty of not knowing for someone like me, who, like I said before, I like I like to know what's going to happen. I like predictability and control. And I had absolutely no control over absolutely anything, not even my own body, nothing. Um, And it sounds so cliche, but it is, it is amazing how much my faith increased because I literally every day had to put my, (laughs) I put both my feet on the ground and, I would just say, okay, Lord, this is you. This is not me. I cannot get through this without you. I can't even take these next two steps to the toilet without you. And so I literally learned to lean on him in a way I never have before. And um, now looking back, I'm like, he totally, he just totally carried me and Matt through that and our family. And I just have never had to like flex my faith muscle that much to, that extent. And I didn't know I was capable of that. Um, so that's been, you know, a really amazing thing I've learned about myself is man, like I am stronger than I thought. And I, my faith is stronger than I ever thought or imagined. So anyway, um, yeah. So going back to December 22nd, he, um, I started having contractions after church and, um, I get home and I'm like, man, they're, intense. Um, so we, I called my doctor and she was like, yeah, go ahead and just get checked in and let's just check on him, make sure he's okay. And so Mm -hmm. I thought that was great. And we went in and I was there like five hours. And then they ended up saying like, um, you're in active labor, you know, today's birth. I remember I'll never forget my doctor. It wasn't my doctor because I had to go to a different hospital because the hospital my OB was at didn't have the extensive care he needed. Um, and our neonatologist was there, which is basically a neonatologist. I don't know like the real clinical term, but he's, it's the doctor that basically receives Mm -hmm. the sick babies and assesses. And then is like, okay, surgery. Okay. No, this, okay. This. And we had already met with a neonatologist like a month before I even went into labor And we all agreed based off of what was going on with Copeland that we weren't going to do any surgeries. We were just going to do comfort care because if we opened him up, he couldn't take it. He wouldn't be able to handle it. So it was just best just to spend as much time with him as possible. So um, anyway, I will never forget hearing you know, the doctor there who was absolutely amazing, um, say it's birthday day, today's birthday day. Yeah. And I just lost it. 
um, I think one, I was really relieved in a weird way because I was so physically, um, I was just past the point of like, I would beg God almost every day, please take this away from me. I'm so physically done. I mean, I, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything for my daughter. I could barely go to the bathroom. I was so big. I was so uncomfortable and I was starting to get a little swollen. Um, but then it was the, okay, this is happening. We're going to meet him. Am I going to get to meet him? Like, you know, just all the the emotions that have built up. Yeah. All the unknowns. So it happened so fast after that we started calling, like literally I'm being wheeled to our prep room for the OR and I'm calling my mom, like mom, get here. And my dad and Matt's mom up there in uh, St. Charles, Missouri. And we're just trying to get everyone there and, uh, and my brother too. So anyway, um, we go in and, uh, he comes out and he's not breathing. And so the Matt gets to go back with the neonatologist and my mom's back there too. And I guess she, worked on him two or three times. And after one of the last times she looked up at Matt and she said, I'm sorry, dad. I don't, I don't think he's going to pull through. And I, you know, this is all secondhand, but Matt said, I need you to try again. You know, I'm not taking him like that to my wife. And then my mom, (laughs) like, my husband's words were she like, like yelled, like cried out, like, do it again, please do it again. Like try again, just one more time. And she did. And he started breathing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I didn't know any of that until like a week after everything happened. So I just, I like looked at my mom and I was like, thank you, mom. Oh my gosh. So they brought him to me and he was looking around and it's like, as soon as he heard my voice, he just locked, like we locked in and, uh, it was just amazing. Um, you know, it's like, it's exactly the mm-hmm. way that God created it. Um, because no matter what was wrong with him, like we still like, yeah. that was my son and we, I, I had like the best care because I remember I had so many doctors, I had a nurse over me with the hospital camera. And then I had another nurse that I actually knew from high school, um, over me with my phone, Mm -hmm. recording his cries, recording us, talk to him, taking so many pictures. I still can't look at them yet to this day, but I have it all just all those moments captured. Um, and you know, it was just amazing. So, and he ended up, um, not having a lot of the defects that they thought he had, like it was just his heart defect really. And that's ultimately what took him. But, you know, so they wheeled us back into the recovery room and he's still, you know, he's still looking around and looking at us. And, um, my mom, it's just me, Matt and my mom. And my mom said, you have your dad, Matt's dad, um, uh, who else? My older sister, Leslie. And then she started saying like, and then all these friends just showed up. Like, 
um, yeah, all of our, a lot of our close friends came and I was like, oh my gosh, well, Copeland's here, like bring them all in. And so like everybody kind of poured in and I remember looking at the nurse, like, is this okay? And she was like, it's whatever you want. And I was like, okay, this is what I want. I want people to see him alive. I want people to meet him. Um, and I guess at the time I felt confident doing that because the neonatologist, she came over to see me when we were having our our special like moment with Copeland in the OR room. And she said, you know, mom, I think he's, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to pull through for you for a little bit. Like it was very vague, Mm -hmm. but it was very positive. And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. So I felt I like, I didn't feel like I had to be so selfish with my time with Copeland. Um, so uh, our closest friend, like some of our closest friends came in and, um, our, most of the grandparents, except Matt's mom, um, they got to hold him and aunts and uncles. And, um, like my stepbrother came and it's just, yeah. it was cool. It was really, I mean, I'm very thankful for that, but there's a moment, um, after our pastors prayed over all of us that I started, opening my eyes during the prayer and I looked and I saw him kind of struggling or mm-hmm. like he just wasn't moving as much. And cause I could really, mm-hmm. you know, he was breathing so hard because my hand was on his back. I could feel his breath kind of laboring. And I thought, well, I don't know. They, right. I don't know. I was just, I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but, um, I remember, watching some people leave and I was like, Hey, bye. And I thought as soon as I said bye to them, I got to check on Copeland and I looked down and, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel him breathing anymore. And I had a nurse come over and, um, she looked up at me and she said, I'm so sorry. You know, and she called the time of death and it, it was just like, you know, even though like we knew everything that was supposed to happen, it was like my world just fell apart and shattered. And, um, I, gosh, you know, and then, and the days following, I felt so much guilt that I didn't focus my time on him and I didn't get to see him breathe that last breath like I felt like I wasn't there for him um because I wasn't paying attention to him I was paying attention to like friends leaving and I was more focused on Mm -hmm. thanking them for coming because I literally remember doing that and thinking at the same time like I need to have someone check on Copeland but let me Mm -hmm. say bye to them first um I think that's still something I'm kind of working on letting go of (laughs) the whole I feel like the whole theme of my life has been like let go of that let go of that so I'm still working on that one but you know after processing and I've gone to like some group therapy with other moms who have had um, neonatal loss it was just I don't remember who said it but someone said like gosh like what, like, why do you think he would have wanted you to see that? Like he didn't, he, he did that on his terms. And don't you, don't you think that 
Jesus was with him and holding his hand the whole time he was going. Like, so, you know, (laughs) it's hard as a mom because you're like, I know where he is and I know who he's with and I know that he's in the safest place possible, but it's just hard. You fight those mom feelings thinking like, I wanted to be there with him, but, um, I didn't have control over that. So anyway, uh, um, you know, one of the most wonderful things about our hospital stay was they had a cooling bed that had been donated to the hospital from another family who had lost their child in a cooling bed or it's called a cooling cot. And, um, it basically stays cold at the bottom to kind of preserve their body for you to, because I still had two or three days to recover from a C-section and, um, I got to have Copeland with me the entire time. And they even discharged me. They discharged me Tuesday morning, which was Christmas Eve. And I didn't have to leave. Like they said, you can stay as long as you want. You can stay another two or three days if you want. Um, But um, I just kind of remember, like, I remember like my mom telling me, you know, you, you stay as long as you want. You can take your time, take your time. But I honestly, I felt a nudge and I think it was Copeland. I really do just think he was like, mom, just go home. It's Christmas Eve. Go see Vera. Um, you know, and at the time I had my mother-in-law, um, who, gosh, I hit the jackpot of mother-in-laws because when I had Vera, she stayed like a week with us and did all my laundry and all my dishes and kept the house running. And she did that again with Vera while we were in the hospital and another for like the next two weeks after he passed, she kept my house running. So, um, I had everybody, but I, there at my house waiting for me. And, um, I just felt like it's just time to go home. It's just time. It's time to kind of like let that go. But, um, it was not easy because, um, yeah, I had to leave him there. And, um, we had a beautiful moment where we invited like everybody in like and, and our our amazing pastor was there and he basically just prayed and proceeded over that time and kind of prayed through all that with us and our family members as we all like I was holding him and Matt was holding him and we just let each family member like come to the bedside and just talk to him or hold him and say what they wanted to say um mm-hmm. and I'm so glad we did that Um, it was really hard, but it was beautiful. And uh, I just remember when Matt and I were alone with him, I remember, um, kind of weeping over Copeland's body, just like kind of begging him, (laughs) like, please, please. Like, please be present in our home. Like, I need to feel you. I need to hear you. I need to see you. Please make your presence known. And, um, gosh, 
he has. It's amazing. Um, because Vera, she's three, three and a half. And, um, you know, I don't, I won't go into like the process of trying to talk to a three-year-old about heaven and death and all that, because a month before Copeland passed, my grandmother passed away and Vera was very, very close with her. So trying to explain that to her, she's in heaven with Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And now baby brother is there. Like, it's just, we're, we're still like, okay, Lord, please guide us through that. Um, but we never prompted her of anything. We just have slowly been telling her, telling her like baby brother's body was so sick. He could not live here with us. He had to go live in heaven. Um, literally every day. It's like a normal thing now. We're not even like phased by it. She's like, I'm playing with baby brother. Um, I'll hear her like sharing her Barbies with baby brother or especially when we're outside in our backyard playing. Um, and I mean, she's an only child. She plays alone. She knows how to play alone really well. Um, she's talking to baby brother all the time. Like, okay, come on, baby brother. You can do this too. Or, and then she gets mad at him. Like, no baby brother, that's mine. Or no Copeland. Like it's like Matt and I just look at each other yeah. like, okay, well they'll work it out. You know, like a real, it's like real life. Like they'll figure this out, I guess. And, um, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a gift. And I just thank Copeland for yeah. making his presence known. Um, and I don't want it to ever end. So, you know, I'm trying to like record all these moments and hold them close to my heart, but um, we ended up having his service on January 3rd and it was, it was supposed to like be raining that day, but it was like 60 degrees wow. and sunny and beautiful. And, um, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. And our pastor did an amazing job. And, um, my brother-in-law made a slideshow and it was just perfect. Like I couldn't have thought of a better way to honor him. And I know he was so proud um, and so many people like donated and we didn't have to pay for anything. Um, it's, it's just such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, that was three yeah. months ago. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm I like, I look at my body in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, um, you know, cause it's weird. Cause usually you have this right. reminder of like, oh yeah, I'm a new mom because I have an infant, but I don't have that physical reminder right. right now. I just have like my scar and my belly and everything else that I've carried. And the pressure that I felt with Vera with my body is not there because mm -hmm. I almost yeah. like, don't want it to go away. <laughs> it's just, it's like, man, I fought so hard those nine months and, um, right. this is all I have left of my son physically, you know? So I don't know, like the journey with food, you'd asked me before, like, how is it now with some grief and a lot of grief and some trauma? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm still figuring, I'm still figuring that part out. I think out. that's going to be a journey. I mean, but food, I um, think will always be a journey it, and grieving your son mm -hmm. will always be a journey. And I think, yeah, there's no, it's okay if you never figure yeah. it out. I think Part of that is the intuitive, yeah. I yeah, mean, that, that, and I'm letting that be it's okay. like the ultimate intuitive, yeah. You know, letting your body and and doing what you need to do without any pressure. That's definitely. 
because that's the last thing I needed, mm-hmm. um, honestly. And I really, it was a very easy thing for me to let go of food and re- to let go of that. And I just thought, I'm like, I almost like looked at it in the face head on. And I was like, yeah, I'm not dealing with you. I'm just not. I'm just not. So don't even like come at me. So that's been, that's been great. And I know that there will be ups and downs with it in the next year, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really ready, proud of you. you know, so um, yeah. Your anyway, story is that's just, my story. Oh, I, I don't know. Just you. your strength and your faith through the whole thing and just watching it from the outside, I guess. Um, it's just incredible. The whole journey. And mm-hmm. um, I never got to meet Copeland, but I, I love him so much. And I think just, I don't know, the whole story, I think his yeah. impact in the world is so incredible. And he was here for a few hours. And so I think God totally definitely had a plan and, and is continuing to use him and his story and yeah. your story. And I don't know. I just, yeah. Yeah. I love you guys a lot. And it's. Thank you. you know, yeah. So thank you for so much for being willing to share and be vulnerable. And I know a lot of this is still something that you're processing and um, obviously like will be for a long time and that is okay. Um, But I'm just thankful that you were willing to talk about it and share because I know there are other people out there that go through very similar things and um, need the light that you have. Um, So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I know Thanks. it's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. It's, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird um, thing because I have like a lot of my, my best friends and um, my family, like my mom asked me when I went back to work um, back in February, she was like, I just don't know. Like, I need you to tell me yeah. like how you're doing this because I'm not okay. So how are you, how are you okay? And I said, it's supernatural. It's, it's God because, um, I just don't, there's no other way to explain it. And I just don't, I don't know. I don't have words for it. It literally is just me. I mean, in that moment with before, I mean, when Matt and I found out just me already kind of saying like, God, I recognize like I'm the only way that I'm probably going to physically get through this alive Mm -hmm. (laughs) is because of you. And so, and Matt and I knew, we knew God's going to use us Mm -hmm. and God's going to use Copeland for something. Um, Even if it's just to encourage one person or maybe bring them to Christ. And that actually has happened. Um, I led, I just said for sure. I mean, I do what? Yeah. 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 So it, it's been, it's been really cool. Um, and you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but being Mm -hmm. home now we're quarantined basically. Um, there's been a lot. I feel like I have taken a few steps back, but it's just because I got, out of a routine that was mm-hmm. supposed to be like new normal life. Cause I guess that's kind of the stages of some of the grief is like, you'll find a new normal, you'll get in the groove. And I got, I was starting to get in a groove cause I was going back mm-hmm. to work and was really happy to be back to work. Um, 
with my clients and I was working with my mom and I had a lot more free time than I did before. And so I was able to do more stuff and see more people. And, um, Vera was in like preschool. And so that was great. But now like all that is literally gone and it's yeah. just like a whole other rip the bandaid off change and it's quiet more. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking about him a lot more and I'm thinking about like, while Vera plays like the life that we would have had mm-hmm. with him and it's hard, but I'm so, I'm so thankful that I mm-hmm. can process through this in a healthy way because I just, I don't know. Like, I just know I'm going to be a better person and stronger. And I don't know what else God has down the line for me to meet or, you know, what this will mean for Vera and Matt and me. But so far, even though Copeland has passed and he's not with us, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, our lives are so much more enriched. (laughs) And I think it's because our faith is just so... Mm -hmm it's just huge now, you know, um, like when all this coronavirus stuff was happening and, you know, there's a lot of fear, there is some fear wrapped around it. It's kind of scary, but, um, I was like, I'm not scared. (laughs) I literally lost a child. I'm not scared. (laughs) I'm just not (laughs) try again, Satan. (laughs) So, you know, we don't, we are very cautious, I yeah. want to say, but we're not, we're not yeah. living in fear. So. Thank you again for just being willing yeah. to share and be vulnerable. And So, anyway. Of course. Well, thank you. Thanks for, like, having me yeah. and I mean, listening course, to me talk for an incredible. hour and so, share. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And thanks, Maria. Is there anything else you would like to share before we... Um... <laughs> I just, Thank you. I, I love you too. You're awesome. Feel all the love. I love too. you guys. That's great. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Taylor. Yay. And um, if you relate to this podcast and need somebody to talk to, please feel free to reach out to me and or I have a feeling Taylor would be willing to talk about it um, as well. And so, um, yeah, you can reach out to me even yes, if you want to reach out to her and you definitely. don't know how to get in contact with her. I can definitely help with that. Um, so thank you so much for listening to this. And yeah, um, it's awesome. we will be back soon. Thanks, guys.